0: amen we want to continue in the series uh, that we've been teaching on the Holy Spirit and um, uh, so let's start with two openings both of them in John John chapter 14 and John chapter 6 John chapter 14 Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the, the night that he was betrayed during the Last Supper what we know of as the Last Supper and he's telling them some things about the Holy Spirit who will be sent to them because he's going to the Father. And, of course, we know that means he went to effect the, the um, finished work of redemption. And as a result, he made the way of salvation for uh, everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. And one of the things that he mentioned to them about the work of the Holy Ghost is in verse 26. He said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now I want you to notice that phrase, bring all things to your remembrance. Look with me now to John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus in speaking to the crowd said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It is the spirit that quickeneth. Notice that word quickeneth. There's a, a quickening work that the Holy Ghost does. This word quicken uh, it's used both Old Testament and New Testament. There's not a lot of difference that I can see between the, the two words. Uh, it means to live or to make alive and um, uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 11 tells us a little bit about from Paul about what that quickening work includes. But if the, same, if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken. Here's that same word, quicken. He shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now I believe that quickening work is certainly an, uh, an affectation of healing, the healing work that the Holy Ghost does in us. But I don't think it's limited to that. I think when we see that quicken your mortal bodies, we just think about a work in the flesh. But the quickening work of the Holy Ghost it's where he opens our eyes beyond the flesh. Now this word is used a number of times in the Old Testament. I want to read to you from, uh, from several places. And for the sake of time, there's, uh, we'll just start with uh, Psalm 119. And we won't even take all the, the uh, verses that David wrote in the 119th Psalm. But I do want you to see these, or be aware of them at least. Beginning in verse 25, it says, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Psalm 119, verse 40. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Psalm 119, verse 88. Quicken me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Psalm 119, verse 107. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. Psalm 119, verse 149. Hear my voice according to thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. Psalm 119, verse 154. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Psalm 119, verse verse 156. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Finally, Psalm 119, verse 159. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to Thy loving kindness. Notice that uh, that David, inspired by the Holy Ghost in writing this psalm, David is identifying the ways or the areas that the Holy Ghost can and will quicken us. He, he says several times, "Quicken me according to Your Word." Quicken me according to Your loving kindness. Quicken me according to Your righteousness. He's saying, "Open my eyes to the truth of all these things." There's a work of the Holy Ghost. That Jesus told us about in bringing all things to our remembrance that includes the opening of our spiritual eyes. Paul prayed this for the churches. The, the most um, expanded record that we have of the prayer that he prayed for the churches was the one that he prayed for Ephesians, the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 1, I think it starts about verse 16. He said, he prayed that the church would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Now that word understanding means the eyes of our spirits. That the eyes of our spirits would be enlightened or opened. Now this word quickened is used in uh, uh, a lot of different ways. It's translated a lot of different things in the Old Testament. It's, uh, for example, everywhere that uh, it says somebody lived a certain amount of time that word lived is the same word that's translated quickened. And it means alive or to live, but then it also means to make alive. And the, uh, the real important definition for the sake of our um, talk tonight, what we want to have on our heart to share with you tonight, is it means to revive, to revive. There's something about that word just gr- that grabs me, to revive. I remember maybe the first thing that I I was ever conscious of, the Holy Ghost trying to teach me and and bringing things to my remembrance, opening my eyes to something. I was, uh, it was before I was going to Bible school. As a matter of fact, I was trying to figure out how I was going to get the finances together to move from Birmingham, Alabama to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to Bible school. I was aware that that was something that was on my heart to do. I didn't know at the time that God was really directing me to do it. It seemed to me like it was something that I wanted to do, not so much something that he wanted for me. But anyway, there was, uh, there was some financial difficulties and obstacles in the way, and some finances that I was counting on to use for that purpose didn't come through. And so it was one of those things I was expecting, this is how God's going to provide, this is how my faith is going to bring the, the finances that I need to, to get to school and all that kind of stuff. And it just evaporated in just a few moments of time it just, the opportunity and the, the potential was just there one moment and gone the next. And so I was complaining to the Lord about it a little bit and um, talking out loud in my car, driving in my car, talking out loud to the Lord, complaining about the situation, complaining about poor old me and that kind of stuff. And the Lord spoke something to me. The Holy Spirit said something One of the things you might remember that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit is he will not speak of himself. But whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak. Well, who's he going to be hearing from? There's only two options. One's God the Father and the other is Jesus. So either way, what he hears and what he shall speak, not of himself, but what he hears has got to be the word of God. That's why this word is used so many times, especially by David talking about quicken me according to your word, quicken me according to your word, quicken me according to your word and so the Holy Spirit told me something, he quoted a scripture to me that I wasn't aware that was in the Bible, it wasn't really so much a matter of bringing it to my remembrance, although it's very possible and likely I guess that I had read over it but I'd never committed it to memory, it never really had an impact on me before but boy it sure had an impact on me from that point forward. He spoke uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, folks, that was not really what I was wanting to hear from the Lord. I would have been a lot happier with, Fear not, I will deliver thee, or some other thing like that. But it was so foreign to my conscious mind. In other words, I knew I didn't know that verse. I knew instantly that it was the Holy Spirit that was talking to me, but I had to get home later on and look it up and see what, what the Bible really said about it. And it was there just as the Spirit of God quoted it to me. I guess He knows the word. But boy, that impacted me. It, it really just had a tremendous effect or impact upon me. Now, folks, we all look for revival, we pray for revival, we want revival. But what is revival? Revival is when, revival in the way that we normally use the word, is when a group of people have their eyes open to the things of God. For example, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, when the 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spilled out into the streets. It tells us that as a result of Peter's preaching, and it was just a very simple message, it wasn't anything that... uh, was a deep theological discourse or anything like that it was just a very simple message that was anointed by the Holy Ghost and as a result 3,000 people got saved well I think we could call that a revival couldn't we 3,000 people that may or may not have been an inter- interested in God I think probably they were because the reason they were in Jerusalem was because of the the day of Pentecost the peace the ritual on the day of Pentecost but they certainly weren't looking for God in the way that they found him. But 3,000 people's eyes were opened to Jesus being the the Christ, to the preaching of Jesus being the Messiah. We know in Acts chapter 3 when it tells us about the man at the beautiful gate that was healed. Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer. They had a set time, set schedule for their prayer life apparently, at least for a while and they saw the crippled guy at the beautiful gate of the temple and Peter fastening his eyes on him with John said silver and gold have I none but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus rise and walk and immediately he stood up, leaped, shouted got happy about what happened to him as you well un- could understand and everybody is marveling at this great healing work this miracle that took place well Peter preaches a very simple message again it wasn't a theologically based discourse. It was just a simple message that was really kind of hard. I mean, it's not one that you could identify as being based on or the theme of it being the love of God or anything like that. But it was anointed of the Holy Ghost and 5,000 people got saved. 5,000 people who weren't exactly interested in God to the degree that they wound up being because the church was already in, already in existence. Apparently these people were not part of the church. Apparently the people that were reached in the temple were not people that had already been saved. they not people that had accepted the teaching of Jesus, the claim that Jesus was the Messiah. But the miracle turned their eyes open their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. Well, we talk about that as being revival. But folks, the Bible talks more about you being revived individually than it does crowds or groups or congregations. Now, I'm with you. I want to see a revival that sweeps the earth. But whether that takes place in our day or not, we can have a continuous revival with the help of the Holy Ghost and should and should there have been some things along the way in my Christian experience particularly since we started the church where the Holy Ghost has been so faithful to give me just what I wanted I'm sorry, to give me just what I needed not always what I wanted not always the way that I wanted it but there was a a time where the church was, had purchased this property and we were making plans to build and that kind of thing. We'd been uh, in rented facilities for a long time and finally had the opportunity to build something and put our stakes deep in the ground. A- and that's really what church buildings are about, at least out here. It, the, it establishes a sense of permanence that's why I believe church buildings are important that's the only reason I really think church buildings are important because it establishes permanence it sets the stage for other things that God would have us do and so we were making plans we were arranging funds and construction loans and all that kind of thing and it was going to be tight we knew it was going to be close And as I was walking down the stairs in uh, the house that I live in now, I was walking down the stairs and the Spirit of God spoke to me halfway down the stairs. I was contemplating the financing and trying to figure out as much as I could what to do and how to do it and what was available and what we needed and all that type of stuff. And I'd been talking to the Lord about it, been praying about it for some time. And the Lord, without telling us what was ahead, Without telling us about the problems that we would encounter. And boy, we encountered a lot. One of the things that we were going to do, the house was owned by the church, and so we were planning to sell the house and use the proceeds toward the building. That didn't turn, uh, turn out to be the way that, that it worked. There was a downturn in the housing market, so it wouldn't have made sense for us to sell it for what people were willing to pay for it. But halfway down the steps, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And remember, he speaks that which he hears. And he said this. He said, you won't have to change the way you live. And honestly, folks, I didn't know what that meant. But as things progressed and the difficulties began, the financial difficulties, the the lawsuits, and the other things that took place during that next five years, that was something I could always go back to. And one of the things that, uh, one of the really important aspects of that is that we got to a place where if we were going to make it, we were going to have to either cut some people's salaries, reduce the expenses of the church, do something, and we started squeezing everything that we could. We we put a a spending freeze on everything possible, but we were still going to come up short. So, I didn't take a salary for a year. And I don't, I, I got to tell you, I don't think I would have been able to make that. I don't think I would have been able to believe God for that if it hadn't been for what He said. He said, You won't have to change the way you live. And God's my witness, we didn't. Without a salary for a whole year, we did that so that we didn't have to lay anybody else off. As you can imagine, my salary was bigger than everybody else's was anyway. And so that was the area that we were able to, to squeeze and tighten our belt. But I kept hearing that ringing in my ears over and over again. You won't have to change the way you live. And it, it puzzled me at the time that the Lord said it. I mean, I, understand what, I understood what he was saying, at least in part. But looking back on it, the way that he said it, you won't have to change the way you live. Just the way that he said it gave me faith to believe God in a different way than I would have if he had given us the the script about what was going to happen. And I would assume all of us would rather have, have had the script or at least think that we want the script. We certainly would have been able to plan a little bit differently if he had told me about the lawsuits and the drying up of the funds and that type of thing. But God says what he says the way he says it for a reason. And that held me steady. I wouldn't have been able to do that if the Holy Spirit hadn't spoken to me. Fast forward a number of years to this thing, this attack of sickness in my body. There were certain things when the first symptoms began. There were certain things that I began confessing daily from the word. We had already started healing school, initiated healing school for our Sunday night services. And so I'm already teaching healing. I'm studying on healing constantly. But there are so many scriptures in the Bible that have to do with healing. You can't confess them all, at least not at one time. And so there were certain ones that were special to me, certain ones that just really ministered to my heart. And so I began a daily routine. This would have been about eight years ago. I still maintain the same confession list that I had. I've added to uh, some of it a little bit. But one of the things that the Lord had been dealing with me about prior to the physical symptoms appearing was Psalm 91. The last three verses of the chapter. The last three verses of the Psalm. Verses 14, 15, and 16. It says it this way. Well, I'm not sure if it says it this way I personalized it so I've changed the words around a little bit but I began confessing from the beginning from the first sim- sign of the symptoms I began confessing because I have set my love upon him he will deliver me because I've known his name he'll set me on high when I call upon him he'll answer me he'll be with me in trouble He'll deliver me and He'll honor me. With long life, will He satisfy me and show me His salvation? Well, as I said, I was confessing that daily, among other things. I'll mention some of the other things too. But about two years into the symptoms, I hadn't had God say anything to me about it. I couldn't get Him to say anything to me about it. And the confession that I'm making, I'm just like you are. The devil attacks us all the same way. And one of the things that the devil does is he tries to hold up your shortcomings, your failures. And the main reason he does that is because he's trying to convince us that because of our failures, we're not in line to receive God's best. He was too, too smart to try to attack the word. So he would concede that the word was true, but just that it wouldn't work for me because of failures, transgressions, so forth. Now I knew that wasn't right. And so I would answer it every time that it came. I would answer it that Jesus was made, I was made righteous by the blood of Jesus. But the devil doesn't give up. He doesn't care if you quote the right thing or not. He stays with it. And the fact that he stays with it is some people accept as evidence that it must be true. But folks, there's nothing about the devil that can be true. Even when he says the right thing, even when he uses the word, he's got his own twist and his own angle on it to rob from you rather than to help you receive. And so for about two years, I'm seeking God hot and heavy, if you know what I mean. I'm praying, asking him to reveal himself to me, asking him to show me what I need to do. If there's something I'm not doing, show me if there's something I'm doing that I shouldn't do, show me that too. And he wasn't saying anything. I would be reminded, again, not by the Holy Ghost, but just by my own experience... Proverbs 24.10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Folks, there's no point in being strong in the Lord unless we're going to stand strong when adversity comes. And that's one of the things that the Lord sent us out here to do. One of the things he specifically talked to us about is to make strong believers. Well, there's no way that I can make somebody strong if I'm not strong too. Because you can only duplicate yourself from who you are. It's not a matter of just the teaching, it's not a matter of just the principles. Here are the principles of how to be strong. That's good, people can learn from that. But you can't develop somebody else to be any stronger than you are. And so I knew, I just had an inward knowing from the beginning that this was gonna be a long, drawn out process. I knew from the beginning this was going to be one of those things that doesn't come as an instant move of God or instant outpouring of the healing power or anything like that. As much as I'd like to say that that's how it will be, I knew it was going to be a battle day after day after day. And I'm all right with that. The greatest honor of my life has been to stand on the word to receive my healing. I'm really not Looking for it or wanting it, I certainly am not asking God for a different way. I'm okay with all of that. But I would like to hear from Him from time to time, you know. But if you think about that, you can want that out of unbelief. Just as much as you can want that in faith. And if you're doing the right thing, why should He have to talk to you? If there's nothing to correct. Why do we need him to speak to us about what we're already doing? I learned this from Brother Hagin. Brother Hagin used to say he has a good working relationship with the Father. If there's something he's supposed to do, it's God's responsibility to show it to him. He would always say, I'm willing to yield myself to whatever the will of God is. But since God's an intelligent being and I'm an intelligent being, he said it's up to God to make sure that I know what he wants. And I, I really took that to heart. As much as I was able, I've been living that. Well, as I said, about two years into this, just as I was waking up one morning. That seems to be the place where the Lord speaks to me most regularly. That place between you're not still asleep, but you're not quite awake. And the Lord said, quoted Psalm ninety-one. Verse 14, back to me, but he said it personalized from his point point of view, from his perspective. He said, because you've set your love on me. Well, I can't tell you what that did. I can't tell you how that lifted my spirits. That revived me. It revived me. It wasn't that I was in some critical place. It wasn't that I was on the edge of doubt and unbelief. I know how this stuff works I'll never go there I'll never be in danger of speaking against God's word and the way that I know that I haven't spoken against God's word is because the word is the only thing that I'm saying but when he said that back to me when he confirmed that in his eyes I had set my love upon him then that makes the rest of the, the those scriptures, the rest of verse 14, 15, and 16, that gave it a whole new meaning to me. Before it was me saying it to God, now it's God saying it back to me. All because in that half a second, whatever amount of time it was, that part of the scripture was quickened to my spirit. Well, I'm still living on that, folks. Here it is six or seven years later, and I'm still living on that. Another year or so went by, and another thing that I'd been confessing from the beginning was Psalm 103, beginning at about verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He forgiveth all my iniquities. He healeth all my diseases. He redeems my life from destruction and crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercy. He satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle's well I've been confessing that daily for about three years since the first symptom came on and right again just as I was waking up not quite asleep but not quite awake the Lord quoted I think it's the beginning of verse uh, verse 3 no it'd be verse 4 I guess anyway he said this he said I redeem your life from destruction didn't even finish the rest of the verse But that was another case where he revived me. And again, it wasn't because I was on the edge of doubt and unbelief. It wasn't because I was getting ready to chunk it in, give up, or anything like that. I'll never give up. I'll never turn away from the Word. But that Scripture, that half of Scripture, those few words from the Lord, they revived me. It wasn't that I didn't see the Scripture before. It was that case when the Lord spoke Proverbs 24, 10 to me in Birmingham. If you faint the day of adversity, your strength is small. I didn't know about that one. He taught me that one irrespective of my remembrance. But that wasn't the case with these other two. But when God speaks the word back to you, and I believe the reason, the main reason he does that is because we speak the word to him. Isaiah 55, I believe it is, said, the word shall not return unto him void. But it shall accomplish. It It shall be and is powerful enough to accomplish what it was sent to do. Well, that revived me. I've been living on that one for the next five or six years. Another couple of years went by. I wish I could... Get these to get closer together. But several more years went by, and the Lord said something else to me from Isaiah 10, verse 27. I didn't know where it was, I had to look it up. Here's what He said, and it was strange because it came in two different dreams, one dream right after the other. And I was aware that I was dreaming. But the first dream was the Lord saying, I will lift the burden from your shoulders. And then the next dream, immediately thereafter, seconds later, was I will take the yoke off your neck. Well, I didn't know where that was. I knew it was God that was speaking to me, but I had to get out of concordance and look it up. And I found it to be a scripture that I certainly should know and that I must have read a number of times because it's one of the ones that Brother Hagin used to use. The last part of the verse is, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Well, that's really all that verse, the only part of that verse that I ever focused on because that's what Brother Hagen used when he was talking about the healing anointing that was in his hands and Jesus appearing to him and that kind of thing. I heard that story thousands of times in person and on tape. But I never paid any attention to the first part of the verse. And really even that, the first part, the very first part of the verse, says that in that day, I will lift the burden off your shoulders and take the yoke off your neck. Well, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the church, the church age. He's talking about after Jesus has fulfilled and accomplished the plan of redemption. So here he's saying and in that day looking forward to the church age but for us being in the church age it means it's already accomplished. Not that he will do something but that he already has done something. Well what's he done? He's lifted the burden off our shoulders. He's taken the yoke off our neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Remember John spoke about the anointing? 1 John chapter 2 I think it is. It talks about how that we have an anointing from the Holy One and we know all things. He says, you have an anointing, talking about the Holy Ghost, the presence of the Holy Ghost. And need not that anyone should teach you. Here he's talking about the benefit of the uh, inward witness. You shall not need anyone to teach you, for the anointing itself teaches you. Well, the anointing is the Holy Ghost who was given because Jesus finished the work of redemption. That revived me. Again, I wasn't on the edge of doubt and belief, uh, doubt and unbelief, or anything like that. But boy, it was just a shot in the arm. Then, about two years ago, I've been living. i am still living on Isaiah 10:27. But then, the most recent, and it was about two years ago now. I guess year and a half, two years, something like that. I was planning. And for no other reason than the time that it's taken. Folks, I don't know anybody that's struggled and believed God for this long where healing is concerned. That doesn't make me special. It doesn't make my situation special. But it does make it unexpected for me. I would never have imagined it to go this long. I knew it was going to be rough. I knew it was going to be a day-to-day thing. I knew it was going to be believing God to take hold of healing just the way that I teach everybody else that they should. I knew that part. But I was struggling with the time, the amount of time that is taken. And so I told the Lord. I, I made plans ahead of time. I carved out a period of time, several days where I could fast and pray and get in his presence. And the whole purpose was to find out if there was something else that I needed to do or something that I was doing that I needed to change. It wasn't intended to be a, a search through unbelief. But I was planning to just spend several days fasting until I got an answer from the Lord, trying to make something happen, really. And so I got to the point, got to the day where I was ready to go. And so I just told the Lord... I said, okay, Lord, we've talked about this before, but I'm beginning right now to fast to get an answer concerning this thing that's attacked my body. If there's something I need to do, I expect you to tell me. If there's something I need to change, I expect you to tell me that too. Instantly, he said, have faith in God. Instantly, the Holy Spirit quoted Mark eleven twenty-two to me. Have faith in God. It came so suddenly, it came so strong, it really shocked me. Well now, if there was a problem with walking in love or a problem with unforgiveness, he would have quoted Mark 11:25, "And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your heavenly Father may forgive you your trespasses." But that's not what he said. He said, "Have faith in God." Well, how is that to be interpreted? I know I'm standing in faith. I know I'm doing what the Bible teaches to be done. I know I'm following the example that Jesus set. I'm following the example of faith that Abraham set. I'm doing according to what the Word says. So there's only one thing that that could mean. And that is there's nothing to change. Keep believing. Folks, that revived me. I believe every word of the Holy Ghost revives us. And as I said, we like to think of and certainly would like to see revival on a grand scale. Let's see everybody in Orange County revived. Let's see a revival that covers every part of Orange County, every part of California, every part of America. Let's see a revival that sweeps the earth, sweeps through the earth, bringing people into the kingdom of God. Well, what is that? What is the revival that could have that kind of impact? What was the revival that the early church had in Jerusalem if not the words of the Holy Ghost quickened the hearts of the hearers? Folks, I believe we're supposed to have a continuous revival. I know the way that some people talk about hearing from the Lord, it sounds like they have a running conversation with God every day and they never have to wonder about anything that he's always there to answer all their questions and always get their answers before the end of the day and that kind of stuff. I haven't found that to be the case in my experience. But if there's one thing that I've learned, and I've learned it through experience through this thing, if there's one thing that I've learned, I've learned that the words of the Holy Spirit, the quickening power of the Holy Spirit, quickening us according to his word, I know that lasts. I know there's a reviving power to hearing his words. Jesus said, when the Comforter is come, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. Remember what we read in John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. And the words that I say unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Folks, the Word of God is full of life and power. Hebrews 4.12 says quick and powerful. Another translation says full of life and power. But where it's quick and powerful, that word quick is the same word. It has reviving nature to it. A reviving nature. We need to be so open to the Holy Ghost. We need to be walking in fellowship with God through the Word. In such a measure that we're always open to hear whenever he speaks. We can't dictate and determine when he's going to speak to us, but I know in my case, it was always on time. Not what I thought was going to be on time, not what I wanted to be on time, but he was always on time. There is a quickening power to the Spirit of God that we need to rely on, that we need to expect, that we need to seek after, and that we need to be open to. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for what you did for us. And Holy Spirit, thank you for being our friend, for being our helper. Whenever you speak the word to our spirits, you provide such supernatural help. It's hard for us to explain or describe. But Holy Spirit, there are people here that need to hear from you. I know there's a individual side to this. And a God side to this. But Father we pray even as David prayed. Quicken us according to your word. Quicken us according to your loving kindness. Quicken us according to your judgments. Quicken us according to your righteousness. Quicken us Lord. Speak to our hearts Holy Spirit. Revive us so that we can be used to revive others too. We love you, Father, and we thank you for doing this and even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us, folks. Have a great rest of the week.